1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
2: This is the Mark Boris Podcast.
1: Uh, good morning. Uh, fucking awesome morning looking down here at uh, William Street. Um, we're here with uh, Nick and Nick and Grant. And... Uh, we're going to um, cover off a, few interesting, a few, inch, few interesting things this morning. I have to say that uh, we're doing it on Tuesday morning because I've got to go to Darwin tomorrow, so we had to bring it forward, unfortunately, or fortunately. Um, uh, Grant Williams, uh, mate of mine, mate of all of ours, otherwise known as Grunter. I don't know why the hell he's got the name Grunter. It sounds a bit awful, but uh, Grant Williams, um, he's the executive producer or EP, what they call as EP at uh, Channel 9 for The uh, Current Affair, has been there for a million years, ex-copper. Uh, I've got to declare early that he's mates a lot of my cop mates. And, um, so we've got, um, sort of close relationship here. What I want to talk to Grant today about is a, a few interesting things. Um, first and f- foremost, about I want to talk to him about his early career as a cop, how that assisted him to become, uh, good at what he does as the executive producer of the uh, current affair, which is, you know, the only surviving current affair in the country at the moment. Um, I w- want to get some few war stories from him, um, I'm really interested about the pack at fight, especially now Gendle's not the CEO anymore. Um, and uh, and then I want to talk to him about something interesting that he was just telling me. Then, as we're standing here, that uh, there's now in d- demand in uh, corporate Australia uh, that's sort of been tapping at his door, asking him to help them with sort of you know sort of groundwork,s so, of um, getting intelligence on the ground about things that are going within their organisations. And one of the things I know in my business is that um, we get removed from that sort of stuff. At my level, at what let's call it the C level, and C uh, stands for uh, Chief Something or Other, doesn't stand for something, some other word. Um, at the C level, we get removed from what's going on in the business and we need intelligence on the ground. And uh, Grant, with his great investigative background and police background, et cetera, is sort of getting tapped on the shoulder for these sorts of stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about that. So, welcome, Grunner day, Mark. How are you, mate? Good, mate. How, how does this feel to be on the other side of the microphone? Because you're normally sort of conducting the orchestra here. You're normally the EP, the executive producer. You've normally got
2: people shitting their pants about being interviewed by someone at a current fair like Tracy. That's true. That's true. I, I, I'm actually shitting my pants as we speak because I'm worried that I'm going to be fired any moment, <laughs> <to> start. <laughs> how good is this? Um, yeah. It's, Graham uh, Williams on the back foot. <laughs> <laughs> what are you ready for You've that, got on,
1: You've got me on it. the back foot it. already. Yeah. So, mate, so. just tell me about tell, tell me about your background. So start from the cops, tell me how you all started off.
2: Well, very quickly, when I left school, I was actually, believe it or not, a trainee photographer at the Daily Telegraph. And uh, so I always had a sort of a journalistic bent from when I left school. And uh, as part of that, the journalist, the the, the actual reporters, the copy kids who were going to become reporters, they did their shorthand courses and whatnot. The photography kids in the Daily Telegraph photographic department, they had to go to tech and do your photography trade with the old view cameras, with the black cloth over the head, the whole thing. And uh, I got down there and there were about five or six blokes from the police scientific squad in the uh, class at Tech. And I was getting 156 bucks a week clear at the Daily Telegraph uh, in those days. And I said to one of the scientific squad blokes at Tech, I said, mate, could you bring me in some brochures for the coppers, some recruitment material? And the following week, the bloke brought one in and he said, mate, here's, a, here's the pamphlet. I opened it up and it said you got 350 bucks a week to go to the academy. I thought, hang on, I'm going to double my money overnight, so where do I sign? So bang, that's how I ended up in the coppers. I found my way into the old central lane, the old central police station, opposite Hoyts up there in George Street. Half of the building was condemned, half of the police there were under house arrest it was a baptism of fire for a bloke who just turned 19. I was a skinny little bloke, uh, hadn't seen too many angry men in my day, and you grew up fast in that environment. And uh, within 12 months of being in uniform, uh, I was tapped on the shoulder to become a, a trainee detective there at Central Police Station. And then who, who, of the cops,
1: who's someone you remember being under? In other words, a mentor of yours?
2: Well, there's a bloke uh, a bloke who was my workmate for many years at uh, Central and then City of Sydney Detectives, a bloke called Luke Frudenstein, who these days oh, is a bad he's, boxer. He's a good boxer. Yeah, he's yeah. a good boxer. And uh, he and I used to used to work our uh, proverbials off in that joint down there. We had some interesting coves uh, who were our, in our cohort there at City of Sydney Detectives. We had blokes like Trevor Haken and Chuck Fowler, who you've probably <laughs> heard of, blokes who spent <clears throat> a bit of time out the window here... Golden Mile. And got on the Golden Mile. And uh, look, it wasn't for the faint-hearted. You saw some amazing stuff. Uh, But um, I think it really, I look back on it and I think, thank heavens I ended up in the coppers because it absolutely instructed my career. It turned me into the bloke I am today and gave me the capacity to deal with the situations and the management and the the role that I have today. So at what do you
1: reckon you learned, though, like skill-wise? So, like, it, it, um, did, I mean, how to cut through um, in terms of investigations, I mean, or, yeah, or not I to think, be fearful?
2: I think becoming a detective at a young bloke, it set you up beautifully with a, a very finely tuned bullshit radar. And that's what's got me through life beautifully, I think. The bullshit radar is the most important thing that you can have. Um, you can't bullshit a bullshitter, which is something I learned later on as well. Um, and... Essentially, being a young detective, interviewing people from all walks of life, whether it be a young armed robber, a 13-year-old Indigenous kid who's knocked a Commodore off, the Premier in Macquarie Street over some substantial fraud involving the government, it set me up with that range of experience and also set me up with a range of, of dangerous situations and situations that... You, you, you quite often couldn't believe you were there. So many things were surreal. Waiting for an armed robbery to unfold in front of you while I was at the surveillance unit, for example. Living in an apartment at Petersham, in a duplex at Petersham, with listening devices set up in the house next door while the two blokes in there rack up their shotguns at night and load their weapons and then jump on their motorbikes and take off. Having conversations about whether or not the dopey-looking bloke next door with the short hair, could he be a copper when you're living in the duplex next door? Um, these sort of experiences, you can't... You, you just couldn't write about them. And that. you can't it's, learn them in the university. You can't learn them. No. Nah. They're straight out of a movie. Yeah. And, you know, back in those days, you had the old... You know, we're here in a state-of-the-art recording studio. Back in those days, you had these bloody great tape machines that you had to lug in there in these big bags with the big tape, you know, on the spool, and you had to... That was, the, that was what was recording the listening device in the crook's house and you had to fart around at 3am changing the spool over and running the tape, you know, uh, through the through the spool machine and listening to these clowns. Um, and these were the guys that uh, were involved in shooting a security guard in the head in the pack in George Street at uh, Martin Place. I remember that. Do you know what I mean? And then a couple of days later, uh, we go down there to check out their address. We got onto them. They were living with a girl called Cassandra Favell. Uh, who was a young blonde woman with a child, and her father was the Garbo killed in the Hilton bombing. Oh, my God. Right? And she bought this house at Petersham with the proceeds of the compensation from that, from the death of a father. And these two no-hope-armed robbers shack up with her and used it as a base. Now, unluckily for me, when I went down there and checked the address out, there was an LJ Hooker-Petersham for lease sign in the duplex next door, so the old Sarge said, mate, you're in go and sign the lease, you're, you're moving in there. So I had to move in there and, and, mate, there weren't too many volunteers in the senior ranks to spend the nights there. So I think I slept on one of those old Kmart banana chairs for about <laughs> seven weeks, you know. So these are the sort of experiences that unfolded that that sort of set you up as a young bloke where as you proceed through life, nothing's a problem. You know, I've always been the sort of bloke that will... I'm no hero, I'm no. I'm no tough guy, but, I'll, but I am always the bloke that's good in a crisis and I am always the bloke that'll run into the fire, not run out. And uh, that's always been part of my makeup, and, um and that's just set me up beautifully how'd to, to plough
1: through. How did you get involved with uh, ACCA? How did you get involved with current affair or television? How did that come about?
2: Well, that, that's, that's another interesting, very circuitous sort of route, but there's a, there's a very, quick, uh, very quick transition I can make from the cops. I, I met a bloke called Hal McElroy, who was a big TV producer at the time, and he was making a show called Water Rats on the Harbour involving the water police. And they had an office out on Goat Island. That's where they filmed, filmed the program. The studio was out there. And um, they were looking for a detective from the cops to become the police advisor on the show. And I put my hand up for it, went and spoke to him, went on leave without pay from the cops to do it because I thought this is a bit of a rort. I'll probably go and do it for 18 months and then come back to the cops. Got the approval from the commissioner, who was Peter Ryan at the time, the English bloke. Went off to Water Rats, did that on leave without pay for a while, working for Hal McElroy, and then thought, how good's this? How good's this TV caper? Colin Friels was the lead actor at the time. He got cancer. Steve Bisley was brought in as the lead actor. I thought to myself, this show mightn't belong for the world. I will decide what I'm going to do in terms of going back to the cops or not. So I resigned from the cops. I took a leap of faith. I went and worked... I went, I went and did a full-time course at the Australian Film and Television and Radio School as a producer, which was then at Macquarie University. It's now over at Fox Studios. I, by then, had a, had my first baby, had, had, a, had a kid who was only about four months old, uh, so needed some income, was doing the full-time study, worked for the Maloney family at night in various pubs around Sydney to, to pay my bills. It's old Cyril. Yeah, and, uh, and Kim, <clears throat> and uh, worked for them. And then as part of my attachment... Uh, sorry, as part of my course at the film school, they sent you to nine. I put my hand up for nine to go there on on a on, a, on an internship for four weeks. And the first two weeks they put me with Reg Livermore at a show <laughs> at a show called Our House. And next thing I'm up at, this is the copper who's gone from, you know, living next, locking up armed robbers and God knows what. I'm up at Katoomba with Reg Livermore looking at his collection of French fabric. Right? <laughs> in his wardrobe, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we're out and, and, and I actually... <laughs> Is that it? And I actually did it. Is that what you want to tell <laughs> and us And I about? actually did... <laughs> and I actually did one of the first ever stories that Jamie Jury did on TV about indoor plants, would you believe? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I don't know if the French fabric, the indoor plants, I don't know if that's quite my bag. I went down to a current affair and uh, I was <laughs> age 30. I went down there for some work experience at, at ACA and um, I just thought... I reckon I could bullshit my way into this joint. And so I just went my hardest, pretended I knew what I was doing. I was the oldest work experience kid they'd ever seen.
3: (laughs) And and just
2: went out and just had a go. Interviewed blokes, went on the road with the camera crews, just did everything like I'd been doing it for months, pretended I knew what I was doing and fudged my way through. And then eventually, um, one of the senior blokes, this old character in the office called John Muldrew, he actually pulled the boss aside and just said, look, I've been keeping an eye on this young bloke, this work experience bloke. I think you should grab him. And what unbeknownst to me, a few of the cameramen had also been to the boss and said, mate, this bloke, if he doesn't know what he's doing, he's, he's putting on a fair fair show, pretending he does. Um, and then next thing they tapped me on the shoulder and they said, look, there's been a heap of redundancies here. Uh, we haven't got any money to, to hire you, but if you want to hang around, you can. So I worked for another six months for nothing and kept working in the pub at night and um, ploughed on there, and, uh, and then, you know, nine or ten years later, I was running the joint. So did you work under um, Hurley? Yeah, under Hurley back yeah. in those days. So he was the first bloke to hire me, Hurley, and, uh, you know, Mike Munro and Ray Martin were the hosts back in those days, and I worked with Munro extensively, and, uh, and, and a short time later, I was made Munro's producer. Is this Hurley and, uh, as scary as everyone thinks? Like, I um, mean, I know him, but, but yeah, yeah, I mean, no, just, no, he, I mean he's,
1: he, in in terms of um, managing um, public relations and/or stories that come in and out about your own yeah. your own your own characters and your own uh, TV station. Sure, uh, tell us a little bit about Hurley, David Hurley.
2: Well, David Hurley, he's a, he's, a, he's quite a renaissance man. He's a bit of a legendary character in the Sydney media. He he uh, he was actually one of Neville Rand's press secretaries back in the day, and he sort of uh, he came through the old Telegraph and. Um, he was just a bit of a character, and and found his way into Channel Nine. He's always got a story, Hurls, uh, and he's a tragic Tigers supporter. Uh, he's the sort of bloke that, um, you know, be ready for a long conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have a short one with Dave. And if, and, uh, if there's
1: trouble, um, he, he used to be the go-to guy. He, he
2: was the go-to guy, you know. And 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 to be fair, I won't kid myself. I've I've probably tried to model myself on him a little bit um and uh, and and consider myself you know if 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 ever I've got 30 or 40% of the skills that that bloke does I'll, and that's, I'll be that's traveling sort of well. what
1: I want to get to Grant, because like when a lot of people listen to this show always talk about mentorship mentorship um and you and I know you were for Hurley and uh, and I know you probably have modeled yourself because he's such a like a powerful sort of guy with so much momentum I mean as a yeah. person as yeah. an individual
2: um how important is mentorship to you Mentorship is huge you know I I've been a bloke who uh, I've always run, I've always run whatever I've done at nine, I've always run it like the family business. And I, I treat it like it's a, it's my brand. I care about it immensely. I'm working on it 24 hours a day. Uh, I provide a lot of mentorship to the young kids. Um, I worked at 2UE with John Laws for a couple of years and uh, a lot of the junior producers that I hired back in those days, I've brought through to Channel 9. And I'm proud to say that a few of those Girls in particular are now some of the brightest stars at the network, and I'm so proud that I identified those kids straight out of uni, and then have brought them through. There's another girl in Melbourne, for example. While I was working down at GTV at Bendigo Street, Richmond, there was a girl, a barmaid at the Bridge Hotel in Richmond, who was doing, uh, who, who was at uni doing journalism. I identified her. I said, "Look, you're a, you're a gun. Get out of the pub. Get out of uni. Come and work for us." She's now one of the brightest stars on air at Channel Nine in Melbourne and reporting uh, every night of the week on the 6pm bulletin. So I've, I've loved identifying the new talent and mentoring them all the way through and always respecting and remembering the opportunity I was given, albeit at the age of 30, but by a black like Hurley who took a chance on me and said, yeah, this black might be a goer. What's
1: interesting is you said uh, you've always thought of the business as your own and your own brand. I mean, I'm always talking about when you're employing people that you've got to employ people who think like they're the proprietor. Mm. Um, it seems to me there's a lot of people at nine think that way about their role. I mean, I think uh, Healy would think that way in terms of what he does in terms of programming. Yep, no question. Um, Backwell also, he would think the same way. You think that way about Acker. Yep. Um, I presume in the newsroom... Uh, is it Wicks? Yeah, Darren Wicks. Wick, Darren w- Simon w- w- Hobbs w- w- in Sydney. would w- think yep. that way as well. And of course, yep. Gingell thinks that way. That's right. Well, thought that way because he's yep. no longer there anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think the success of many organisations is a lot of times based on the fact that the people who are in the senior management roles think as a, as a proprietor.
2: Do you yep. think that's an important role? I think it's huge. I think it's huge. And, you know, my wife obviously, you know, sometimes she just despairs at the hours we work in that place. You know, we'll be up at 4.30 and I'll be home at nine o'clock at night, you know, and I've now, I'm have now i now coming up to my eighth year as the national executive producer. And I always say to her, well, guess what? You know, we live over Manly Way and I always say, well, you know, this poor bastard down at the chicken shop in Balgala, uh, he's there at 4am cooking chooks. And he, I see him when I, get, when I drive past at night, he's still there at nine o'clock pulling chooks off the rotisserie and probably having to turf them and turf out half the salads he's got in there. And he's trying to make a quit as well. You know what I mean? And if he can do it, I can do it. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm running an iconic national TV show that's been around for 40 years and as a custodian of that, I'm obliged to actually run it like it's my own business. And if I don't want to do that, I should get the hell out of it. I think job. you should piss off. I agree yeah.
1: with that. I mean, 100%. Yeah. And we, I just touched on it. Mean, I can't go past quickly asking you about the Gingle punch-up or whatever that we probably We probably don't, shouldn't be calling a punch-up, but the, the, the scuffle. The scuffle, yeah. Can you? Yeah. I mean, out of just well, out of interest, I mean, what everybody wants to hear about it. I mean, you, but you are right there. I mean, you're. Well, you went there on the day, but you, you have a very close connection with both individuals. You know both individuals very well, particularly one of them. Yep. Um, you guys
2: covered it off. Tell me about it. Well, you know, it, it, it's. I. Th- I think. Every, look, it's. It's no secret that a lot of us at Nine, absolutely, you know, have the greatest respect for David Gingell and and I think you addressed it, you were sort of hinting at it before, there's another good reason why I run or have run the business like it's my own business, because of that bloke. Because he, let you he be, lets you do it. Because yeah. he lets you do it, and he knows, and, mate, he'll ring you and he'll kick you in the ass. And you know why you always run it like it's your own business as well with Ginjal, Because he watches your product. Mm. He knows your product, and you can't fudge. He's not, he's not ringing you up saying, uh, oh, mate, I watched The Current Affair six weeks ago and I thought it was pretty shit. He can tell you what was on last night, mm. down to the, each commercial break, right? But uh, but look, I think it was one of the more interesting episodes we've had at nine with with, with the video and uh and and, and the as a video Well well look the, the whole thing was, you know, people, you know, it's it's been well it's been well documented that um, uh, the paparazzi were hanging around at James's place with a view that they would try and get shots of Miranda Kerr are returning to Sydney from the States with, um, with, with James. And, uh, what transpired was that there was a Channel 9 news truck, a, a link truck parked up the same side street innocently because the young bloke who's on call lived in this, lived up there. It's, it's the Bondi resident, right? So James automatically thinks, uh, oh, hang on. They're all over it. Channel 9 sent a truck down here. They're trying to stake out the joint, trying to get Miranda. And, um... Ginge knew nothing about it. No one at no nine knew anything about I it. I was with him yeah. now before. I had he was, breakfast yeah, there. exactly. So he's in the surf. He jumps out. He gets these cranky calls from uh, from James, saying, "Mate, what are you doing? Piss the truck off, kind of thing." And he and he had no idea. He had no idea what it was all about. So um, so next thing, it's on. So Ginge goes up and waits for him. Now there was some paparazzi there, and they were waiting for uh, Miranda Kerr supposedly to turn up. They didn't realise that uh, this bloke in the tracksuit was David Gingrell. They just saw him there. So they actually thought they had shots of a hobo attacking James Packer <laughs> is, the, is the reality of it, you know, because he'd been on holidays and he had the big beard and everything and he was in his tracky dacks and whatever. Anyway, so cut a long story short, it ends up in a situation where these, uh, a huge number of still photos and video is, is made available by paparazzi. And on the this was on the Sunday afternoon. Of course, on the Monday morning, I land in the office, and it's on for young and old. And we've got, I've got this paparazzi girl coming into my office, and she's got the uh, she's got all the stills and all the video. Do you buy it from her? Has worked. We could have. You could have. Right. They wanted they wanted big biscuit, obviously. To, to, How much you talking for? Oh, a you're,
3: while talking, you're talking
2: you're talking two hundred and fifty grand or thereabouts, Jeez. right? Now, of course, we're we're talking about a public company here, and and look, look we jokingly we went up and we had a. We had a meeting, you know, there were various, you know, we're obviously, it was, it was a bit of a crisis in the, in, the, in, the, in the scope of the Nine Network, let's be fair. But Ginger's the sort of like he's going to come straight out and say, yep, this happened, I had the blue, I apologise, dumb thing to do, all the best, move on. You know, there would have been some CEOs who would have said to me, mate, buy that at all costs. Bury it. Bury mm. it. Don't care what you pay, bury it, it's gone, right? And then we'll worry about it later. But that doesn't, you know, this, yeah, this is a great Gingel. lesson. It's not Gingell. It's a great lesson in life. So, you know, we even joked. I said, mate, in parts of the video, you look pretty shit shithouse. You know, James is on top of you and you, you're not, you know. <laughs> it's, shit not you. Well. <laughs> it's not going yeah. that well. It's not going that well. You know, some of the stuff. That is so much editing. Well, do that's it. right. You know, and Ging's loved it because some of the shots that he had uh, he had his arms raised like in this sort of... Samurai. Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Samurai, Samurai, Jackie Chan. He was actually yeah. just trying to keep the sun out of his eyes, but he looked like Bruce Lee. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, so a couple of those shots they used in the paper were nice. But look, at the end of the day, we had that meeting. I went back into my office, the paparazzi girl sitting there thinking she's about to win 300 grand from us to to buy all the vision. And that and was a crisis. That
1: was a nine crisis. That was a nine but crisis. Let's face it, that was a crisis. Yep. Your CEO... Yeah. Um you know, effectively in a punch-up. At, at, at You know, worse, it's a, at best, it's a fray. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like fighting, or worse, it could be something else. Um, and I, to a large extent, reputationally, it's important for for the nine network um, to make sure it doesn't get out. So to some extent, you have to control it. I mean, you have to control it by getting on the front foot. That's right. And... Th- but
2: and the consensus was, the consensus was that this ain't going to go away. If we bury it, yeah. They're going to be on our hammer forever. So we walked back in. The girl's sitting there with a laptop with all the vision and everything, and I said, no, don't worry about it. Take it to Holt Street. Take it to News Corp. They'll yep, buy it. Yep, yep. And, uh, we, you know, it, the discussion was 250 grand. They did. She went straight there. They bought it. And we just sat back and wore it. Because the you outcome was
1: pretty good. I mean, relatively speaking, nothing – I mean, we've all forgotten about it, Was more of a, bit of a funny thing to talk about these days. Yeah. And there was very little collateral damage to Channel 9, no, I think. That's
2: right. And I mean, you S- know. apart from a pap's
3: point of view, coming to you guys first, knowing that, like, you know, that potentially.
2: Potentially the price could be higher. Yeah. That's right. I think they got the shock of their lives. I think yeah. the girl was. Uh, she, she thought I was joking. When I came back in, she she didn't take me yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. She was almost pulling the paperwork out after I said, <laughs> "Don't worry about it." Cash you know or what I check? Mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, cash or check. Yeah. So um, so she she really got the shock of her life. But I think that's a that was a great corporate lesson for me, great life lesson, and and just be honest. Know, just be honest. Yeah. Fess what, what, up.
3: What's it What's it like at a at a TV a uh, TV network? Is is anything out of bounds? Anything off limits? Off
2: limits. Like, no, not really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what happens is, a bloke in my situation, um, running that program, CEOs, senior management, they don't want to be in a position to ask you not to run stuff. Hmm. Okay, there's no editorial control, even in relation to advertisers. Like, there's there's a great misnomer with shows like A Current Affair, that we do ads for people, and that we we look after certain businesses because the boss tells us to. Like me. Right?
0: Like, like me, you, like yeah.
2: you, but but the classic, but they don't they don't the classic thing with YB the classic thing with YB yeah <clears throat> yeah that's right I mean yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. different thing because yeah. you know nine obviously nine No, obviously. but
1: nine always declare the position with me we declare it but that's if, it. but like if I go and do something stupid I'm going to be I'm going to be a, a part of the current affair no matter what mm. same yeah, as Gisborne exactly I mean right. if the it, I mean, James Packer told me once, he said, mate, when when I was in the wizard days, yep. don't ever think current affair will not come after you, because they come after me. Yeah,
3: that's oh, true. Right. Well, okay, so that's, that's a good question. When Packer was running the show, was there anything that was off? Did he ever come to, did he ever, and you know, he doesn't own the place anymore, so he can probably speak freely, but did he ever say, no, you can't do this. Did, did Kerry or James ever? Not put that the I'm aware of. If they yeah, did, that's, that's, they wouldn't yeah. had it wouldn't have happened, mate. But yeah, that, yeah, that's
2: right. before that's before my time. Yeah, in, right. In, in many respects, you know, in okay. terms of running the in joint. Terms of I but mean, sure I remember, I remember when they went after him. Though
1: I remember when they went after James. Uh, it was over Jody. I mean, yeah. I, I remember it. And like James actually said to me, mate, he says, "Mine too." He owned, you know, PBL owned it then. Mm. It wasn't owned. wasn't in the different mm. sort of environment as it is today.
3: Because like News Corp, it's a very different story, right? Like Rupert, you know, anything that. Oh the look, the it's about, look it's grapes, all about it's all about right?
2: it's all about what's going to rate on the night too yeah. you know what i mean and we have to we have to be aware that like in those days with today tonight on air or whatever seven news they're going to go nuts and the 9 newsroom for example ran the ginge packer blue hmm. okay but a current affair doesn't need to then turn up with it for another 7 minutes because we haven't got the vision and the stills if we bought those if we decided to buy them we would have run them you know what I mean? Do
3: you do you, to pay, you had to pay News Corp, though, right? To run—I mean, not ACA, but like Channel Nine in general had to pay News Corp to run the photos and. All
2: no, the no. Production. What I'm saying is, no. What I'm yeah. saying is, the paparazzi then went to News Corp, News Corp, and did the deal with them. Yeah, sure, but they po- paid the po- Post
3: that. Do you end up? Pay, I mean, you pay a diluted. Not oh another, no, call, under fair dealing.
2: But, yeah. No, no, under fair dealing in that situation. Okay, okay, Once right. they have been published, you can, you can, um, yeah, under fair sure. dealing, you could then run, you can, you can then run that material, sure. elements thereof. You know what I mean? So grown up.
1: All that experience, mate, you know, some of which is a lot of fun, um, some of which is very stressful. What is now, what are you now seeing in corporate Australia? Because that's, that's really what I wanted to talk to you about today. I mean, I, I'm actually fascinated that you're now seeing corporate Australia tap you on the shoulder and say,
2: Grant, we need some help with something or other. Tell yep. me what that is. Yeah. Well, look, I think it's, I, I think interestingly, what i what I've got, I think, a couple of people, you know, words got around about my sort of skill set, as it were, and having... No, no, th- th- just us not be too uh, conservative you, mate. Yeah. Let's not
1: say skill set, as it were, mate, because yeah. I, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you up now. Yeah. You're a young bloke. Yeah. Your skill set is enormous and your experience is ridiculously enormous. So people are actually asking you because of who you are, not because of your, as it were, mate. You've got a bloody great skill set. So that's not undersell yourself right now. I actually want to hear... What what is corporate Australia trying to get from you?
2: The way I look at it is in the corporate affairs world, in the public relations world, in the crisis management world... There that's are, what we're talking about, crisis management. That, that's, that's it. There's hundreds of operators around Australia selling themselves uh, in this sort of industry, all right? Either in-house... Working for as a, working as an in-house staff member, or they're or they're working as contractors, right? And I think words got around to the extent that well, there's not too many of them who've charged people with murder, run the John Laws show, and run a current affair for Donkey's Years. And right? and, and, make, and, and, and you're doing crisis management every week. Crisis management every week, you know, whether it be my own show or whether it be stuff within Nine or outside. So I've been sort of doing some, you know sort of pro bono advice here and there. And, you know, clearly what they're looking for, as you alluded to early in the, in the uh, session, is they're looking for intelligence in terms of where their business is positioned. One thing I've got from my time at the helm of a current affair is an acute awareness of what makes the audience tick, what they like, what they don't like, what products they like, what companies they like what companies they like seeing bashed, what companies they support. I've got all that awareness now because we get minute-by-minute ratings every morning. So we basically play a football game every night of the week and then at 9 o'clock the next morning we get the score on the scoreboard. They pull the curtains back and away we go. And we get the minute-by-minute ratings. So the little graph goes up and down, up and down. It tells you what went well and what went like a busted ass. And obviously you can then make a mental Around a million people every night? Million people?
1: Yep. More or less so you're
2: doing night? a survey of a million people every night
1: about the sorts of messages and topics and content that either tick the boxes. Correct. Or annoy people or excite people yep. or that they're absolutely glued to their seat about. Correct. And you take that now to corporates. 100%. So corporate can say to you, listen, uh, Grant, uh, mate, we've got a bit of a, a problem coming up here. Our CEO fought the CEO of the, our competitor. Yep. Um... I mean, um, uh, we don't quite know how to manage this. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Because, yeah, I mean, I mean, that is, old Ginjo Packer thing actually is probably helpful for your brand.
2: Yeah, no question. But but the thing is, yeah, I'm talking about the crisis management. I'm talking about how to deal with the situation. I mean, people think about a current affair. Some CEOs and, and corporate Australia would think of a current affair as these are the blokes that can really ruin my day, right? So how do they approach something? How do they approach a story? What works for them? Why would they come after us? What can we do to combat what they're intending to do? I'll give you, just just looking at some positives as well, not just negatives. Take Coles and, Coles and Woolworths, for example. Now, we do the odd story on Coles and Woolworths, as do the news bulletins now, because everyone's looking at hip pocket. Now, a lot of punters would generally look at our show and say, oh, Coles, they must have done an advertising deal. Right? And so, our current affairs doing a nine minute story tonight on Coles about their new distribution warehouse and how they're going to slash prices on 20 items across the board. Right? Mm. Nothing could be further from the truth. Hand on heart, we in that situation have annoyed the Christ out of Coles and we've harassed their media people for three weeks to get that story up. Nothing to do with the sales department, nothing to do with advertising. Right? The reason we've done that is because. That story will rate, and people want to know what discounts they can get on 30 or 40 items at Coles, and they want to see behind the scenes of where their groceries and their fruit and veggies come from. That's a positive for Coles. So we almost have to bring them, we have to, bring them to the barrier, kicking and screaming, and then deliver them a nine-minute product, and they look at the story afterwards and say, we should, have been going, we should have been hassling a current affair for a month to get that story done, but it was the other way around. People can't believe that, but that's just part of the insight into how the show's put together every day. We're after something that's going to rate, that's something that's good news. People would rather know where they can get cheap bananas than where to find a rotten banana. That's the truth of it, right? It's not all negative. You know, we're not out there every day saying, let's go and jam a Coles because they've got some shit grapes in their fruit and veggie section, (laughs) right? We'd rather, you know, I'll give you you a, a very... I'll give you a very uh, crude example. A lot of our punters historically, a lot of our punters historically would love to go to Paddy's Markets and buy fake DVDs from some young fella down at uh, Paddy's or Parkley Markets and buy (laughs) fake DVDs. The last thing they want to see on A Current Affair is the police raiding this poor bastard, (laughs) right, and locking him up and driving his high ace away full of DVDs, Right. That is that is that. That is another, that's a crude example <laughs> of what I'm getting at, you know. It's not all negative, mm. yeah. you know what I mean? It's not all <clears> negative. <throat> You've got to look at the messages that can get out there and how people want to operate their businesses and I'm trying to cut through with a lot of these corporates as well and thinking, well, hang on, I, I've, I've got a lot of information that they can that can really help them and, and guide them as mm-hmm. to as to the way they operate their businesses day to day and the mindsets they have. Would you call it public and relations? Is it what is it? What do you call it? How do you look, describe it? Give me a couple of words. I think from? it's I think it's almost I think it's brand enhancement. Yeah. It's brand protection. It's it's almost brand guidance, mm. you yeah. know what I mean. I like guidance. Yeah. Guidance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting I'm the or even coaching brand coaching. Brand coach. I'm not suggesting I'm the first bloke to think of this. Mm. But what I'm saying is, there's if there's hundreds of other blokes out there and and, and and women in the marketplace doing it, then surely I've got something to offer in terms of the the. Uh, so how do
3: how do you how do, you get, how, do you, how do you gather all that information? So obviously, come you know that IP is is acquired through your work at nine yeah backer. that's right like how, how do you stay on trend you get like a you know a million pro- young producers out there just the finger on the pulse. that's to right well what we do and-
2: yeah no it's not it's not like that it's basically because I've got a situation where I'm looking daily at the ratings performance of the program yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the historical one thing about when you when you've had a couple of years of reasonable uh, ratings reasonable success in the role it's very hard to step back. It's very hard for management to say, oh, I'll rip this bloke out of here and give him something else to do mm. because they know, uh, the management know, that you've accumulated this knowledge along the way. You have accu- you know what works. You know what doesn't work. You've got a really good sense of the place. And one thing about a current affair each night, it's almost like being the head programmer at the network on a small, on a micro scale mm. because the head programmer at the network is plonking his shows, Right one by one, trying to work out where to put them, where to fit them, which ones will work, which ones won't, which one he'll put last, which one he'll put first. That's what we're doing every night with a half hour of television. And, and our job is crucial because we set up the night's viewing on the network. Mm. If a current affair doesn't work at 7 o'clock, then the rest of the evening is pretty well buggered. You know what I mean? It's a crucial. You need that carry-through. It's a high-pressure it. role because you've got that. <laughs> you need that carry-through. Yeah, leads in. And you know, this time of year in particular, I mean, few people would realise that. You know, we outrate the news. We outrate the six pm news mm. on a current affair. Uh, we had a recent run in uh, three weeks ago where a current affair beat the six pm news something like nine nine nights in a three week period. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Probably. And that's that's a great tick for the program that's been around for forty years. Forty years. Yeah. Yeah, in 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 various guises, yeah. you know, either be you know with Willacy, Mike Willacy, etc. Mm. Um, but it's pretty well been around since the early 70s. Yeah, amazing,
1: you know, amazing.
2: back I'm, back to the Paul Hogan days I and so on. It. And yeah,
1: because I'm getting old, I remember it. <laughs> yeah. I do remember it. Uh, well, Grant, it's been fantastic to get you. Into, like I, I I think that for our listeners to have an opportunity to hear someone speak from the night not only from the grindstone but someone who sort of sees the rawness of what goes on in this country in terms of, um, you know, what what you want to call the current affairs, but just the sort of stuff that you guys produce day in, day out for, you say, 40 years, in your case, probably the last 10 years, eight years? Yeah, well, I've been the national boss, certainly, for coming up to my eighth year now. Eighth but year. I, Yeah. And, and it's a great opportunity for people to hear sort of the rawness of what you do. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. Um, we, unfortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately, we have someone else to talk to. Um, and, but what I think is critically interesting for me is the emergence of, and the importance of the emergence of, corporate Australia starting to realise, well, wait a minute, we do need to have some brand coaching, we do need to get our brand managed more properly than they ordinarily would do with just PR people.
3: And by the public, yeah, not right. by. Yeah. yeah. And you being a proxy for the public, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right.
1: right. Yeah, that's right, hey, the that's proxy for, for the public. Yeah. A proxy for the yeah, public. Yeah, that's yeah, good, yeah. Nick. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way of putting it. He's a proxy for what, actually what people actually are thinking mm. about mm. various content and messages out there in the marketplace. Mm. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, I, I wish I could use you in my business. I can't because I guess we're conflicted somehow um, one way or the other, I yeah. guess. Uh, but uh, but I think other organisations, I think Australian businesses need to start to think about this stuff a lot more closely than just, as opposed to just employing some international public relations firm. I'm not having a crack at the public relations firms. They're good. But when it comes to crisis management or getting a brand message out there, you really got to get to the to the ground to find it really at an... In, you've got to get the intelligence,
2: I mean, in terms of a policing concept, the intelligence of what people really, really think, not just focus groups. Yeah, I think I think it's all about street smarts, Mark, you know, and I'm not trying to pump my tyres up, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a question of where you get your information from. And you can have a PR person that's never worked a day as a journalist or a day as a copper, and they come in, they're straight out of uni, they've done a PR course... And if you, get, you you can employ them and rely on them for all your guidance, and, and and I wish you all the best with that. You know what I mean? But uh, but I'm 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 seeing that you know a couple of people are tapping me on the shoulder. So there's obviously going to be a recognition. There must be a recognition out there that there's there's better ways to do things and there's better people to speak to. And and um, you know I'm just grateful for you giving me the opportunity to come in and uh, and have a chat about it. Mate, it's awesome. Well, I'm glad you. It's
1: fantastic content for us. So thanks, runner. Good, Good on you, mate. mate. Thanks, mate.
3: So we've got Amber and Grant here from Creators Academy. Um, Amber uh, was desperately trying to get an Uber pitch on last month, whenever the I think it was the 29th that we did it. And uh, you know, as I was saying before, we had over 5,000 pitch requests. So um, unfortunately, a, a few people missed out. About Uh, about (laughs) 4,950 or something. Yeah, but you know, I I guess thanks to Amber's um, presence in social media, um, the comms team at Uber were able to pick her up and and refer her on to us, and now we've got her here on the Mark a Show pitching live, which is probably just as good as, right, Dad? I
0: think it's probably more nerve-wracking pitching live, but (laughs) (laughs) anyway. Go for it. Um, So, I'm Amber Renee. I'm one of Australia's leading celebrity stylists, and I'm here to seek your help to disrupt the um, education industry, so take a slice of the $100 billion e-learning industry. So my platform, the Creators Academy, is my e-learning platform that allows leading industry influencers to share their real-world uh, business insights with people who need to quickly learn new skills to adapt to rapidly changing business models.
4: So, so look, based on the uh, work we've done to date, the traditional education market is um, fit for disruption. Um You know, it's a model that sort of hasn't caught up with the current sort of new, um, faster business um, environment. Um, You know, they're currently offering courses that's sort of one size fits all. It's still that sort of death by whiteboard presentation um, mentality. Um, They're not really using um, new technologies as well as they could be. Um, The content's not meeting industry needs. So we've done a lot of work with colleges um, and TAFEs and um, other learning institutions and they're really screaming out for sort of industry um, hands-on skills, um, but a lot of their courses are still being put together by um, lecturers and educators who don't have that uh, skill set. And I guess it's for, you know, people are changing careers a lot sooner these days. It's every sort of three to five years people are switching up their careers. So um, they need to be able to access um, education that's faster, that's more on point, um, and that's meeting those new faster business models.
0: So... um The new student wants to be able to self-select the skills that they need for the career that they want. They want to learn anywhere, anytime. They don't want to have to go to a classroom and be at a certain place at a um, time each week. They want to quickly gain the skills to change careers or move up the ladder and upskill quickly for rapidly changing business needs and also learn from the people who have actually done it, so people who have achieved what they want to achieve and learn specific industry skills without needing to mortgage the house. Um, So the Creators Academy is an online training program, it's available to anyone, anywhere globally. It's taught by business leaders who have achieved significant industry status and I guess that's probably the most um, uh, biggest significance between us and the traditional model of education. It's practical real world knowledge that's directly relevant to situations that you're exposed to and on the job. I believe it's the next stage of influencer marketing and it's a completely scalable business model that provides leverage income and we also have the ability to pivot quickly to any um, new and emerging markets.
4: Um, so, the e-learning industry is um, currently worth almost $100 billion. So, um, it's doubled in size from 2011 to 2013. Global? Yep. yep, globally. Um, and it's doubled again um, in the last couple of years. So, um, we're in sort of a, a really um, rapidly growing marketplace. Yeah.
0: Um, so, just to know that um, I, I have been testing in... Uh, putting this to market for the last 12 months I have three stylist training programs as one of Australia's leading celebrity stylists I now teach people how to do what I do and it's the real world stuff that you face when you're trying to set yourself up as a stylist and what you're actually doing on a photo shoot working with celebrities um, being a fashion editor of a magazine at the moment I've got affiliate packages with colleges globally so they're out there selling my programs for me
1: stylist program
0: yeah, that's right, yep. yep. And um, the results are pretty good. I've got about 560 students around the globe from Australia, the UK, USA, as well as really random places like Ghana and Malaysia. Um, and I have an average conversion rate of about 8%, whereas the industry average for the internet marketers and in e-courses is about 2 to 3%, so I'm performing well above industry average. It's just a behind the scenes of what it looks like in one of my programs and um, some testimonials from my students. You know, I get... Really raving testimonials, five stars. Everyone thinks it's, you know, really hands-on practical knowledge that they haven't learnt in courses that they've already studied in, you know, the fashion industry.
4: Yeah, so a lot of the um, people that have done the course so far have actually studied somewhere or are studying somewhere, but they're actually not getting the sort of um, hands-on, real-world experience that they're after, and so that's why they're can, joining can this kind of I course. Can I just interject? If, if I'm taking your course, what does that
3: consist of? What does it entail? Like,
0: Yeah, so they're video modules and downloadable templates. So you log into my platform and then you, uh, it's self-paced learning, so you can just log in and do the courses at your own um, speed and then you get a certificate at the end.
3: Okay. Yeah. And how long does it take?
0: Um, it depends. Uh, you know, I have how some. How hard people. I go, at it, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. you can complete an entire course over a weekend, but then I find people that have, um, you know, do it over three month period. Cost of the course. Um, uh, one course is $300, three courses are $1,000.
1: Right, and, yeah. and do you get a, like a certificate for yeah, or something that's, like uh, that?
0: Not, we're not nationally accredited because you have to, um, you know, follow certain criteria to get that accreditation, which is not actually what you need on the real world, like in the real world. So that's why we're not going down that train, like the nationally accredited path, but you do get a certificate of completion, like an industry recognised.
1: So you, so I do your course, yep. um, three hundred or whatever it costs, and I go along to Grunter at Channel Nine, and I say, "Oh, can I get a can I get a job in your stylist department?" Because yep. they got one. They've sort of got one yeah yeah they do. Do so. are yeah, yeah. so. yeah. so. going to grant, grant yeah, i don't
2: i don't have access <laughs> to it i don't <laughs> no.
1: know if you work but, that but out um, <laughs> behind the camera <laughs> would, would i get a jo- would I be able to get a job there or how does the world i can teach you how to get Freelancer it. or how does it work yeah
0: that's right so in my training programs i teach you how to approach someone like grant to get a job so what sort of um follow are you going to need how to approach them for an internship all those sorts of and things and do
1: you get, do i will doing your course so i get the skills to do it yeah that's right well?
0: yeah exactly i mean the
1: skills not just to approach them but the skills no that's right so what is a stylist? tell me what it is
0: stylist is someone who, um, you know, dresses people for a living, I guess. So I teach you how to, you know, source the products, what colours suits um, what sort of people, what um, shapes suit what sort of people, all those sorts of things. It's, it's not
2: makeup or really. anything?
0: No, it's fashion. Fa- fashion, <laughs> yeah. okay. It's, sort of, it's yeah. part of, part <laughs> of
2: my experience. Have you considered that uh, a course like that, whilst aimed at the specifics of being a, an industry celebrity stylist, sounds to me like it's the perfect course for a 22-year-old girl from sports school to do to be able to sell product and to be smart about how she goes about retail.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, what
3: about people just that just conscious about their their, their their image, you know, and, and looking good, right?
0: That's actually a course <laughs> that I've got in development at the moment. So I've well, got two courses that are going to be pitched to um, every, you know, people that want to dress themselves. But this yeah. is sort of separate to the Creators okay. Academy. But, yeah, but, it's in development.
4: The other thing is it's for... Um, people that want to start their own business as well. So it's providing all of those skills that Amber's learnt over the last five years or that any influencers learnt over their lifetime um, to enable someone to quickly
1: start a business. So getting straight to the point of, you know, startup. So by the way, you just said something very interesting, grand influencers. Please tell me what will what, tell our audience what you mean by influencers and uh, why are you an influencer? Either uh, one of well, you yeah. okay. <laughs>
0: Oh, I mean, I guess an influencer is someone who has succeeded in their chosen industry and who now has sort of influence over the market within that industry. So, Via um, social? Yeah, via social, yeah. So I communicate to an audience of about 70,000 people on a daily basis across my blog, social and YouTube channels. Right. Um, And that's been built up over, you know, the last five years or so. Um,
1: How did you build it up, Amber? uh, Because a lot of people, how old are you? Thirty um, <laughs> okay, years. You're, you're a kid, right? Young, young person, um, and a lot of people in your in your age group are thinking, "God, I'd love to have seventy thousand people follow me on Instagram or wherever it is, Twitter. I don't know what, where, across what what media you use. Um, how do you build that?"
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess there is a lot of analytics behind it. I'm a civil engineer by trade, so I'm really interested in data and how things are put together. So um, uh, Instagram is my biggest following, so I've done extensive online training programs as to how to succeed in Instagram. There's a whole lot of data and analytics that you can look at on the back end about what time to post, when to post, which hashtags to use, um, which content gets the most likes, which content gets the most shares, all that sort of thing. And did so,
1: you, and, okay, did you build some sort of algorithm? I mean, did you actually see? down is, and say,
0: Algorithms out there, yeah, yeah, but that's actually a great opportunity for a course. And so, one of the courses that we want to do is how to succeed in Instagram, how to succeed in YouTube, those sorts of okay. things, which is what people actually want to. What know do, do you days. think the
3: big point of difference is between you with you know seventy thousand people in in your network and someone only has I don't know five thousand? And you know, I, I as a lay person, can't tell the difference. Like you know, you're all quite all quite glamorous people, and you. You know, wearing good stuff and you're looking good and all the rest of it, but, like, what's the what's the difference, the discerning factor that separates someone from 5,000 to 70,000?
0: I think if you look at feeds, if you pull up a feed of someone with 5,000 and the feed of someone with 70,000, there is a significant difference. So all of my photos are professionally taken photos. Like, they're no, not just, you know, me having a selfie and it's grainy and out of focus. Like, they're really professional photos. Do you have so
3: someone following you around? like I
0: have a camera and a tripod. Yeah, it's okay, painfully, like. yeah, painful, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And we'll get one today, don't worry.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah okay, because I, mean, I, I mean, I always, I, I've been told I'm a bit of a, uh, I can be cynical about things and sometimes, some people have said to me, you can buy followers. I mean, is that true?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But then you can tell that there's um, no engagement and no influence over that market. So, it's really no point in doing it.
4: Yeah, a person with 5,000 followers could have much more engagement than a yep. person with 70,000. So, they're more valuable.
1: So, when you become an influencer, is it about the engagement you have with the number of people you have or is it engagement of, um, or is it more about numbers?
0: I believe it's more about engagement. Um, I don't think the industry is quite there yet. I think the industry is looking purely at um, numbers, but um, I definitely think that's the way the way it's going. You know, people are going to start looking at well, where is your influence? Is it in Australia or is it internationally? You know, when you posted a comment, um, posted a photo, how much you know engagement did you get? What, what was the buy through? Those sorts of things. I think that's where the industry is going to go.
1: So you're going to run a course um, in in your um, program for mm-hmm. people to go and set up you know, social accounts and how to, how to, and how to actually optimise it.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah. So there's one um, that, you know, that there's, that can happen for sure.
1: But like, really, really, let's say some 25-year-old girl or boy um, is following your mm-hmm. programs and they go into, the, they find this module in your uh, education program. Um, why would they want to do that? What, what is it just, just because they want to establish themselves in a stylish way or they want to establish themselves for a, a social way or are they trying to run a business or what do you Yeah,
0: think? I mean the majority of my student, well all of my students want to set up a styling business so they want to know how to have a successful styling business and a lot of my social drives offline are um, Offline jobs, so like you know, people will see my social media and go, "Oh, can I book you as a stylist?" And so that's really the the main way to drive um, drive business these days.
1: And celebrity styles, did you mean um, you you're you you're promoting to how you dress yourself as a celebrity, or you um or you style sorry, style yourself as a celebrity, or you're saying to people. Uh, or are you saying celebrities come to me for styling advice? Which one is Correct. it? Correct,
0: yeah, so Segment. the latter. Yeah, so I, I dress a lot of celebrities <clears> and <throat> it's just the finishing touches of, like, you know, how do I show my celebrity um, the dresses? In what order do I put the dresses on? So it's all these kind of little things that you don't really know until you've been doing it for a really long time.
2: How did you get from civil engineering to this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hang on, you're trying to blow me out of the water with a career change here, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> what, about, what about yours, Grunter? Like cop to
3: bloody Acker.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I've still got the low suits, though, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> (laughs)
3: They were free. This has been one long, like, 20-year sting operation on Channel 9, hasn't it? Exactly right.
1: How did you get a civil engineering Yeah,
0: I I mean, I used to be, I used to work on a construction site building roads and bridges for latent contractors, and I used to build my, um, paint my steel cap boots pink. My nickname was Pinky, so I was in the thick of it, and, um, and it was a great, you know, it was great fun, but fashion was always my passion. So I started a fashion label, me, on a sewing machine. I made four shirts the first week and sold them the first week, and then made eight shirts the next week and sold them the next week. Um, five years later, my brother and I had um, 120 counts around Australia. We oh, you export- grand,
1: your brother? Oh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah, I can. Now you say oh.
0: it. <laughs> we exported to Paris, Tokyo, LA, and South Africa. We dressed some of the biggest celebrities of our time, which back in the day was Paris Hilton, and it used to be cool to dress Paris Hilton. And um, we did runway parades all around the world. So I was doing the design and, um, and manufacturing. Grant does all branding and comms.
1: Right okay so uh, you, you it's like a family business.
0: Yeah what, it always okay. is. And where's yep. the business at
1: now? Like what stage are you guys at? Have With you...
0: the label we we ended that in 2007.
3: Oh sorry your current business. Like are you guys looking for capital or yeah I mean what, what what's the next step I guess?
0: Yeah that's right. So um the next step is building the platform and yeah. engaging um uh other content creators to come on come board. So, um, what I'm really strong at and, and what I've been doing for the last 18 months is like my masters in internet marketing. So, I've been learning how to create, marketing grow an e-course. So, you know, what's the perfect module count in your creation, how to um, communicate to visual versus auditory versus kinesthetic learners. So, really understanding that and then also how to launch a course. So, you know, I, I launched my courses about a year ago and I was like oh, I've got a course and no one bought the course, you know. So, it was, I've been like 12 months trying to figure out how to actually market a course and how to get interested students to buy that Course, oh,
1: how they, are you marketing the course?
0: Um, all through um, social, so Facebook, um, yep. Instagram, and Google remarketing.
1: So um, a lot of your um, course participants would come off your social followers?
0: correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: also working with affiliates and
4: other partners to drive the courses through their networks. As well. So like
1: Uber, for example.
0: Um, more so like fashion colleges. So like um, you know traditional fashion colleges that don't have a styling program. So I'm speaking with them and they're um, selling my styling program to their existing students, their existing database.
1: Uh, that's a pretty. It's just a, What's sort of cool about this is um, it, it is disruptive in terms. You're right, uh, granted. Some the education industry is like so slow. So I mean, you're slow. not going to go and do a course at TAFE. I don't even have a course in TAFE for this stuff. But you're not going to sit in TAFE for six months, cost you a thousand dollars, whatever it is. And you turn up to a lecture, and if you don't miss, if you don't get up to the lecture, you miss the lecture. That's right. Yep. And then you're behind. Then you're mm-hmm. stressed, um, and you think, what the hell am I doing this for? Um, this is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can pick it up. You can do it again. You can pick it up, pick yeah, it up, pick it up. Lifetime access? It. Yeah, lifetime access. Um, I guess that it's priced accordingly because mm-hmm. it's internet-based, so you don't have to pay someone to be in a rented premises, you know, at 7 p.m. on a Thursday evening um, when you're paying them overtime, I guess. So that makes that that, that sort of stuff's pretty intelligent, pretty smart. Um, it's the way things are done today. Um, the demand for styling, uh, tell me about that. Is there a demand for to be styled or to understand styling today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So according to Facebook ads and, you know, because you can target an ad to someone who's got an interest in stylist or who has a job title as a stylist, there's 2.1 million people around the world that want to do it. So even if 1% of them buy a course, then that's a pretty handy kind of business. Yeah,
1: so, you, and, and sorry, where do you the 2.1? Uh, so
0: on Facebook ads, you can sort of um, target your Facebook ads to anyone who has an interest in jo- as a job as a stylist or um anyone who wants to be a stylist so um, globally yeah globally, globally yeah. yeah and facebook sort of um so who's your competitor uh, yeah so there are two main competitors in the market so uh, other way I don't um, so, the uh, first one is Mastered. They launched in January 2014. They're based in the UK. Um, they offer a really time-specific course, so you have to log in at a certain time to do that specific course. Um, and it's really industry-heavy, hands-on. So, they've got heaps of great um, um, opportunities within the industry, which is great. The programs are taught by British icons, so like Nick Knight, Sam McKnight, they're Big in the UK, I'm sure, but I've been in this industry for twelve years and I've never heard of them here in Australia. So, it shows that there's opportunity for us to do one here. Their photography course waitlist has twelve thousand people on the waitlist. It says so on the on their um, website. If you assume that only three percent of them convert, that's about a nine hundred thousand dollar course because their course is valued at two and a half grand, which I think is a bit above. Is that
1: about? It? Is that a course about how to photograph yourself?
0: Um, not yourself, no, no. but so, like, if you want to be a photographer, right, okay. yeah, so how to shoot for <coughs> magazines, right, how right. to shoot advertising campaigns, that sort of thing. So, um, and they're fashion industry based. Um, the, the American version launched in May 2015 and they have evergreen courses that which are really. Unique. What's that called? Um, masterclass. It looks like Scott Camp. It's Dustin Hoffman. Is
1: it? <laughs> it yeah. like Scott Camp. Yeah. <laughs> Has he got Dustin, Dustin, Dustin Hoffman's. Uh, Dustin Hoffman front-end. is. Is that his business <laughs> or his front No, yet? no,
0: he's teaching a, a class.
1: Right. Yeah. So, so, in our model, he'd be an influencer.
0: That's yeah, yeah, right.
1: Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow, Dustin Hoffman's teaching
4: a class, and
0: on... and Serena Williams is teaching a class on tennis. Usher is teaching a class on performance. Is is, is well, like yeah. I'm
3: just sort of extrapolating out the um the the growth plan for you guys. So is the idea to sort of get as many influences on their teaching their craft Correct. as possible? Yeah. Like, and and I guess is there is there like a, an incentive for these guys? To, I mean, like because a lot of them make like a lot of them make good money just flogging product. You know, what I mean that I mean they don't really have a huge incentive to go and create a program of their own and teach teach essentially competitors how to take market share off, off themselves, right? I mean, what's how are you going to drive people to, to build programs and to, and to be part of your platform with you?
4: Um, yeah, so um, essentially the model that we're looking at is um, a profit share model, right. so um, working with influencers and yeah. um, them getting a cut of actually what they create. Mm. Um, so our role in that will be actually facilitating them getting onto our platform, so helping them um, figure out the content that they want to be teaching, mm. Um put it into a, um, I guess, plan that's actually going to work for students mm. um, and then um, work on a profit share model with them. So that's sort
1: of how we're... Partnering up. Yeah, yeah. Part, partnering up. So do you ch- you, do you, are you chasing the influencers and, and or are you waiting for them to come to you? We will be chasing yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to go chase an influencer and say to this, you know, someone who's an influencer, listen, we want you to come in onto our program, partner up with us. We're going to promote you and your course. Yep. Mm-hmm. And do you do the course content or how does it all work? Does we, the influence have to build that or...?
0: We'll guide them, them, we'll mentor, yeah. mentor them through the process. I think that's the biggest barrier to entry. I think someone like yourself might be interested in teaching people, but how do you actually get a course together? How do you put a course online? How do you market a course? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the barrier to entry for a lot of people, whereas I'm sure people like you, Grant, would love to give your information away and help other people come up, but yeah. it's difficult to actually get that information out of your head and onto a platform that people can go and sure. easily purchase. And, and so you
1: would do that part?
0: That, I do that part, yeah, <coughs> that's right. Right, so
1: yeah. you, you would sit down and you'd sort of uh, trudge through that sort of Correct. process and build it up. Yeah. Yep. You've, got, you've got a model that you build this. Right, yeah. yeah. So you just filling the fields out. Yeah. Okay, very good. Very yeah, so we're going to start with the fields that we know. So
4: it's in the, you know, fashion, photography, yeah, yeah. styling, those kind of fields, mm-hmm. and then we hope to broaden out to more I'm um, curious, how do you, curious, how do you teach? Sense. How do you, how does a lifestyle um, grammar or blogger teach their course? <laughs> is there, is there, a, is there
3: actually a formula to that? You think? Well, or? yeah, as I said, like yeah. with
0: Instagram, there's a formula to, to yeah. being successful on in Instagram. And people don't know that, you know, they think it's just taking a selfie and waking up insta famous, you know, but there's, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's um, process that goes into it behind the scenes. So, and yeah. how do you know that stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cool. Very clever. Very good. I mean, I, I New world mate. Yeah, I'm impressed. I'm it- impressed. I have to say. What strikes me straight away though is that that niche targeting of someone like a, a celebrity stylist, you know, my my brain immediately goes to broader audience. Okay. And I'm thinking immediately of how many kids are working in Chadston Shopping Centre in Melbourne or how many kids are at Westfield Centre Point, right? Coming out of school or out of uni or whatever and working for fashion houses or even retail chains, like I mentioned Sports Girl and businesses like that, I think there's great application for the styling course in that that sort of realm rather than, you know, everyone thinking they're going to be able to get a job Mm -hmm. at the Nine Network when they've done a $300 styling course. But Mm -hmm. I think the broader application is for something... Like retail, even yeah. if it's just how they carry themselves
1: yeah. and how they present themselves. I mean, I, I yeah, mean, because I, right. I mean, if I'm employing somebody, not necessarily in your industry, but if I'm yeah. employing somebody, I'm actually interested to know do they are they do they have followers on Instagram? Do they know how to do the yeah. social media stuff? How do they present themselves to me? How have they presented themselves to the public, in their Instagram or Facebook or wherever it is? Yeah, and that that's sort of a, that's a new wave, a new world coming through.
3: You guys that's, have picked it. That that's something that I remember when I was Kaplan Markets. So you do those Kaplan compliance try, online courses every couple of months. I mean, yeah, there is room for like a retail. One of the retailers are doing that yeah. for, for their employees. They're saying, listen, you guys are selling fashion and, mm. and this product. We need to skill you up a bit more yeah. and make sure that you, you know that you're on point when you're selling us. That's stuff. right. I mean,
2: yeah. how does the manageress – I yeah. keep coming back to sports girl, but doesn't yeah. matter what. How does the manageress at Centerpoint when she's interviewing fourteen kids out who've had but you know responded to an, seek Ad, how does she decide, having a sit-down with 12 or 14 of those guys, who she's going to go for? Well, if a kid turns up and says, look, I've got off my arse and I've done this course mm. and I'm now a, a styling guru... That's a good start. And I've got people yeah. following me. Yeah. And look, here's an example you. of what I do.
1: Yeah. This is the quality of what I do.
2: Yeah,
3: And it's not even about the credentials. It's just about being better at your job. Yeah, having yeah. someone yeah, that's else. that's right. Yeah. Like yeah. Just, just learning confidence. what you need to know. That's yeah. right,
0: rather than the stuff that they teach you at TAFE, which is not what you need yeah. to know.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: Typically, okay. in my industry. No no, <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no, Brilliant. Great, great, great outcome. Thanks very much. I'm glad you persisted through Uber to come in pitch to us today.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. Well done, guys. Well, that was really interesting, Nick. Uh, it's sort of, um, um, uh, we had uh, Grunner doing telling us about old school journalism and you know old school coppers and uh, what he's taking, how he's taking that to the market now. And then uh, off, the, uh, completely diametrically opposed. To that is, uh, what we, let's call it modern, young school um, brand building and young school promotion and young school education uh, taking on um, the education system. That was sort of quite interesting to see how they I- interacted and how. Totally different they were, but both totally relevant. Mate, what are we doing for next week?
3: So next week we've got um, the Minister for Innovation, Wyatt Roy, coming in.
1: I'm looking forward to talking to Wyatt.
3: And, uh, you know, so obviously, you know, we've been chatting about, you know, change in, in government for the last few months now and... And with the new Malcolm Turnbull government and White Roy as a minister for innovation, hopefully there's some good chat to come off the back of that one.
1: My mate David Coleman, who's a who, who's um, a parliamentarian now, used to be on the board of Yalabeg Road, is gives an, uh, a guy I really respect in terms of digital stuff. Uh, gives White Roy an, an extraordinary rap. and uh, everybody I talk to says great things about White Roy. So,
3: oh, he's young as well, you know, and I yep. think he understands the plight of, um, of 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 young entrepreneurs and SMEs and startups and and the you know. The challenges that are that are ahead of them and, and what we need to do to overcome those those well, barriers.
1: Well, well, I'm looking forward to talking to him and um, this sort of the he's probably slightly the opposite to uh, Bruce Bilson, who was the minister for small mm-hmm. business. We now got a minister for innovation. Yeah, that's that's a big call by uh, the Turnbull government. Yeah, looking forward to talking to him. And by the way, he comes from um, I think his local area is Morton Bay, White Roy. Uh, he's, that's his sort of environment where he where he's a um, a local elected parliamentarian and uh, I spoke up there a couple of weeks ago yep. to a an event and uh, everybody's so excited about having White Roy as their guy. Mm. And So well, they've touted the t- t-
3: him as the next prime minister if he can hang, wow. if he can hang out and and uh, and he doesn't have any any skeletons in the closet and <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's probably too young to have skeletons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. to- we'll yeah. look forward to talking to him and uh, have a good weekend, guys. Cool.
2: This has been the Mark Boris podcast. You can follow
1: Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris and find out more at markboris.com.au.